The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the web. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's a local attorney and certified information privacy professional. She's the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity, From Victim to Victor, and The Complete Idiot's Guide to Recovering from Identity Theft. She's testified many times in Congress and the California Legislature on privacy and identity theft issues. And you may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, ABC, O'Reilly Factor, and many other shows, including her own 90-minute PBS television special, Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash privacypiracy. Hey, Mari, what's our show about today? Well, Lloyd, today our show is about child identity theft and the Identity Theft Assistance Center. And we have had this wonderful guest on before, but let me tell you, if you haven't heard my interview with Ann Wallace, you definitely want to hear this. And also, she has a big update for us. So let me tell you about her. Ann Wallace is Senior Director for Consumer Financial Services for the Financial Services Roundtable, and she's president of the Identity Theft Assistance Corporation, which is a nonprofit corporation that operates ITAC, and ITAC stands for the Identity Theft Assistance Center. In her role as Senior Director, Ms. Wallace is the Roundtable's liaison with the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, which is in uh, Washington, D.C., as she is. As ITAC President, Ms. Wallace oversees operations of ITAC Victim Assistance, which is free to the customers and consumers supported by member companies. And they have helped thousands of consumers recover from identity theft. As the financial services industry center of expertise, ITAC and its member companies try to fight identity theft through identity protection and victim assistance services, law enforcement partnerships, and consumer education and research. Interestingly enough, Anne is also a lawyer, and she began her legal career with the Board of Governors of the Federal Reserve Board, where she served as Assistant Director of the Division of Consumer and Community Affairs. Also before that, uh, Anne was a, a pioneer in financial services, and she actually pioneered the financial services privacy consulting practice at KPMG Consulting. And she served as legal advisor to the Treasury Department. She has done wonderful work and continues to do so and is going to share this very important report with us. So you can learn more about her at at the website for ITAC as well. And that is, uh-oh, and tell us what the website is before I forget. Sure, it's identitytheftassistance.org. Very good, identitytheftassistance.org. Thank you. All right, so welcome. Thank you so much for joining us from the East Coast. We appreciate it. Well, thank you so much for having me. You have such a wonderful background. And so how is it actually that you got into this whole thing with identity theft and the Identity Theft Assistance Center? 
I was doing a lot of privacy work um, for when I was in private practice and as corporate counsel. And um, at some point, I just got a call from the roundtable, uh, the financial services roundtable. Um, its member companies were trying to figure out how they could help their customers more recover from identity theft. I mean, individual companies were helping their their, their customers already, but they felt they wanted to do more and help people um, recover from this terrible crime. So, my goodness, it's almost uh, it's almost ten years ago. Um, in two thousand and three, I was hired by the roundtable to help them create um, something which had never been done before, which was a cooperative, a collaborative process of large financial services companies to offer a free service to yeah. their customers. It's wonderful. Who are some of the the large financial institutions who belong, who are members? Oh, lots of names you'd recognize. Um, Wells Fargo, Bank of America, Bank of the West, um, U.S. Bank. Um, so, so lots of uh, companies. Citibank. The Citibank also. Citibank is also a member, right? Um, so all the biggies. All the, all the biggies. biggies. And, and lots of regional mm. companies as well. Okay. So tell us, what exactly does the Identity Theft Assistance Center do? We have a couple of primary missions. I've already talked a little bit about our victim assistance service, ITAC Victim Assistance, where we help customers recover from identity theft. But we also do a lot of um, research on identity theft issues, and and I know we're going to talk a little bit about child identity theft in a minute. Um, But we also spend a lot of time on... Um, consumer education, um, whether it's uh, old problems, uh, you know, the, the familiar issues that, that consumers have, the challenges that we have in keeping our information secure, or emerging issues, whether it's, you know, mobile phones or um, new forms of, of fraud. Social networking. Out. Yeah, yeah, I think that that's a biggie too for the for the younger generation who are using their mobile phone to do banking, and then they're also doing social networking. And there's so many issues that are emerging, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Now you sponsored, or ITAC sponsored, the Child Identity Theft Theft Survey. Could you tell us a little bit about that and and why ITAC did that? Sure. We felt that, you know, there was a lot of concern, understandable concern on the part of parents and government and nonprofits about child identity theft. We'd all heard the stories. We, we, you know, maybe from our own friends and family, and we'd seen stories in the paper. But what we realized at ITAC was there was really no empirical research there was kind of anecdotal, um, you know, compilations of stories, but no hard numbers, no um, statistically sound empirical research. So we hired um, a company called Javelin Strategy and Research, which is actually located in the, in San Francisco. That's where their headquarters is. And um, we commissioned them to do a study on child identity theft to find out more 
you know, more reliable information about the incidence of identity theft, um, how it happens, what, um, you know, how long does it take to fix it, all those kinds of, of crucial issues. Yes. And so I, I have a copy of the study, and I'd like you to share some of the key findings with my audience. Well, the, the first finding, you know, it, it probably isn't a surprise, but it's worth, it's worth repeating that the most frequently compromised piece of information about a child is typically their social security number. Um, that is a very valuable piece of information for uh, for fraudsters because if you think about it, you know the child's social security number has no credit rating, has no credit report associated with it. So it's a blank slate. It's you know a perfect it's foundation. Yeah, it's clean. It's a, a perf- wonderful target. A, exactly, a perfect foundation for fraud. So what the thieves do is they, um, and this really ties into the second big finding of our survey, which is about synthetic identities. So what the, what the fraudsters do is they create what's called a synthetic identity by taking the child's valid Social Security number and combining it with other information. So clearly you have to have a different date of birth because if you're you know, using a, a kid's social security number with that child's actual date of birth, that's not going to work. So the, what the fraudster does is make up another date of birth and often you know, typically another address and, and sort of other personal information and create what's called a synthetic identity. And that's what the survey found is that is the most common method that the, that the crooks use. Right, right. And so I want to go back to this social security number. And I don't know if you are old enough to remember that in when I was a kid, I didn't get a social security number until I was 16 when I started to work at one of the retail stores in high school. And now that's changed. Babies get social security numbers at the hospital right away. And so that is one of the problems is that now all these innocent little tiny babies have, um, you know, have social security numbers which are eligible to be used and parents don't find out about it because they're not getting uh, credit at that age, right? And uh, they don't have to, like for me, I I think I got a car at 17, so that's when I started to have a, a credit report. But basically, that's that's a huge difference from when I was growing up. And we're, I've gotten calls from families who have new babies at home, and after a year, they find out about identity theft of this baby. And they think that, obviously, that uh, the identity was stolen from the hospital at that time. So I think that's one of the big changes. Don't you see that? Do you think that is um, one of the things that is affecting the increase in child identity theft? Absolutely. It is a, it is a problem. I mean, we know why children need a Social Security number if they're going to have a passport or, you know, benefits or health care and so forth. But the, the gap, I think the missing link in, the, in public education and helping parents understand this problem is that, you know, we don't think about protecting a, a child's social security number as much as we, we probably should. Um, and the, the fact is that 
it's it's like money. I, I mean, a, a, a child's social security number that does not have bad credit or other you know bad experience associated with it is a very valuable commodity. And yes. so parents really have to think about protecting it, for, whether it's physical access, you know, if there's a social security card, or how that information, how they distribute that child's social security number, who they give it to. Yeah, and, and unfortunately, I hear all the time that the baseball team, the baseball coach wants the social security number, mm-hmm. and um, doctor's offices, even when you have a, an insurance card that has an alternate number that is not the social security number, they still want it. So parents have to ask why it's needed, and we have to educate these various, like the Boy Scouts, the Girl Scouts, all of these different organizations that our kids go to, and we have to educate them that they shouldn't have to ask for that number either. It shouldn't be in all these files, right? Well, that's exactly right, and the research that's been done shows that the, as just as you said, the social security number is often requested by, you know, a sports team, a summer camp, um, places that really don't need that number. They yes. don't need it, and parents have to feel empowered to push back and say, "Why do you need it?" Yes, exactly. Now, one of the other things um, that why parents listening to this may say, well, gee, I have to put the Social Security number down if I want to take my kids as dependents, you know, or I want to set up a college fund. So so we can't really avoid getting that Social Security number if we want to take our kids as a deduction or set up college funds when they're babies. But, um, you know, I mean, the 529 plan for the IRS, you have to give it. But so we are going to have to give it for certain. We're going to have to get that Social Security number to protect our children financially. But at the same time, we, you know, you're right. So let's talk about some of the other findings. I thought they were really fascinating, especially with regard to lower income groups versus higher income groups. You want to share some of that? Yeah, we were a little surprised by that finding, which was that Lower-income families are disproportionately affected by child ID theft. We don't know why, and, you know, the one thing you learn in research is it's, it's a mistake to speculate as to why that happens. Um, but we did notice that um, for families with incomes under $35,000, there, um, there, there was a significantly higher percentage of child identity theft. And and that kind of makes sense, though, if you think about it, that the lower income uh, families would have less credit available to them or maybe their credit has has been, you know, impacted into a lower score. And so to be able to get credit um, in in the the family members that might use it, because we've seen that, and also maybe neighbors that know about this child and they need the credit or for you know especially with medical identity theft we we see this kind of thing where people who know you use that because they know it's clean and sparkling i think for, you know that makes a lot of sense to me in that realm would you say well what, one thing we do know is that victimization often occurs close to home when what we what the survey did show is is that when we asked families that had experienced child identity theft, if they knew how the fraud had happened, 
did they know if it was a, a neighbor or friend or family member? Many of them said yes. That what you know what's called friendly fraud um, it, it causes or is the you know what the how about twenty seven percent of the crime happens. Are you so saying twenty seven percent of those who know? Okay, yeah, we have to be careful on that because I've been dealing with identity theft for many, many years, and that um, most people who become victims, at least in the since 1996 when I've been dealing with victims and I was one myself, most victims never find out who their fraudster is. And that's because it's so easy not to find out. You know, it's so easy to take someone's identity. So from those who do know, it often is a family member because that's how they find out. They find out that somebody suddenly was able to get a car that they couldn't get, <laughs> or they find out that that somebody calls and and calls them your child's name or calls them somebody else's name. So I just wanted to clarify that twenty seven percent of the people who knew who did it to them found that it was a family member. Is that is that the correct? That's right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And and so also, how big of a problem is this? I know that was one of the findings. Well, there the 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 results of the survey are are somewhat reassuring in the sense that um, what what the survey found was that about one in forty respondents had a child who was a victim of identity fraud. Now, this is kind of a, a, a tricky area because the survey focused, spoke to families, families with children under 18. So we didn't go out and talk to all households. Right. We only talked to households under 18, with, who had children under 18. Right. And of those, about one in 40 had experienced um, identity theft. Now, the important thing to remember about this number is that if we assume that some of the people we're talking to may have been involved in the fraud, chances are they're not going to tell us that. Right, right. So we, we, we think there's a possibility of, of under-reporting in the survey. And the other thing to remember is that we're not talking to the kids. Right. So we're talking to an adult in the household who, um, you know, will respond according to what they they understand the facts to be. But um, so it's a very tricky thing to, you know, to to really quantify. But that, that is what our respondents told us. Yeah, and, you know, sometimes they don't find out for years. I had a parent call me that when she went with her son to get um, his first car, and he was 16 and they were going to buy a car and they wanted to pull his credit report, they found out for eight and a half years his Social Security number had been used. And so sometimes they don't even find out. So the, the number could be so skewed because people don't even find out about it for such a long time. So that, that's that's another concern. So how how else is I, child identity theft really different from adult identity theft? Well, one of the things you just mentioned, Mary, is, is, is a key point, which is the difficulty of detecting child identity theft. It's much harder 
for a minor who's a victim to find out, or, or his or her parents to find out, than it is for an adult. I mean, an adult has a credit report. An adult can check his or her accounts and see, oh, there's something fishy, or, you know, can, can check on your credit report and see, um, you know, an account that you don't recognize. For a child, there those options are not available. You you know, the credit re- bureaus do not knowingly maintain any kind of a record on an individual under 18. So a parent can't go and get a file from the credit bureau and know that the child has or has not been a victim. So, the, so it's, it's much harder to detect child identity theft. And you know what I've been saying for years, and I don't know how ITAC feels about this. I know that you have good relationships with the credit bureaus, but I've been suggesting to the credit bureaus and, and for many, many years that they allow a child, that parent, parents should be allowed to put a credit freeze on the child's credit report. In other words, establish a credit report and put a freeze on until that child is 16 or the parents take the freeze off. So that that's like a, you know, kind of a prophylactic way of preventing at least financial identity theft. It won't do anything about government benefit identity theft or maybe medical identity theft, but it sure would help with financial identity theft. I don't know how ITAC feels about that. Well, we certainly feel that more um, more needs to be done to verify the accuracy of Social Security numbers, of key identifying information. I mean, right now it's really hard for companies that are extending credit, or indeed for the government, you mentioned government benefits, sure, sure. to know that a social security number matches the date of birth that is being provided. Yes. And, you know, this is a, this is a shared problem of private industry and government and the public needs, needs to have better ways to know that that information that we're all relying on is is accurate. Right. Uh, you know, I many, many years ago when I was a victim, one of the things that I recommended was the security freeze, believe it or not, back in t- 1998, I recommended. Then it finally came into being, I think, in 2003 or something. And I have said to parents who call me that they're worried, I said, you know, write to the credit bureaus and ask them to establish this, that that your, your identity was stolen your, and your ex-spouse or your the stepdad is doing things that you're worried about. I think that would be something that really could prevent it. I wanted to go back to when you were talking about synthetic identity theft because it's really important that people understand. They might say, Oh, so if they use my kid's social security number and they make up a name or they use a different name and a different address, that it's not going to come back and hurt my kid. And I don't know if, I know you understand this, but I don't know if my audience understands that the bottom line is the social security number is the key to the kingdom. And therefore, if the credit card companies or the banks or whomever can't find that person um, from a name, they always go back to the social security number. That is the key that will lead them back. So you could use a different name. You could use a different address and synthetic identity theft. The person who gets hurt will 
it'll take longer, but it'll always come back to the actual victim who owns the social security number. So that's why it's so important what Anne is saying about really protecting that social security number if possible. Well, that's that's absolutely right. And, um, you know, probably the best example is tax fraud. Yes. Where if a social security number is used to um, report earnings... Right, and get a refund. Or or to even on the the front end when the earnings are being reported. Yes. Um, And then later on, you know, the owner, the real person, the the owner of that Social Security number files um, for taxes. The IRS is going to match up the income that was reported with this new, with the person who's the real owner of that social security number and say, hey, you owe me back taxes. Yes, I had a lady who found out eight years afterwards and they told her that she owed thousands and thousands of dollars. So, um, yeah, the IRS right now is trying to improve because it's been a real problem. But, it, it, you know, in this information age, things are, are really challenging, you know, because we have so much information being bought and sold and shared and readily available that that's, it's a, it's a real problem. So what are some things we we have a few minutes, actually, we have about three minutes. So let's, let's get to the heart of it. Or what are some things that parents can do, uh, when they, you know, uh, they suspect that maybe, there is identity theft. What are some of the things that they can do? And what are the, some of the things they can do to protect their kids? Well, let's start in the front end with protecting. I mean, the, the, the first and most, it's obvious, but it, it, it still bears repeating. The most obvious thing to do is keep that personal information personal. Right. Birth certificates, social security number um, should not be left around. Um, you don't want to throw it in a drawer. You don't want to leave it where um, someone in your family, even that you may not be sure that they're going to be responsible about about using it. Right. Um, and ask, always push back if you have, when you're asked for your child's personal information and you're not sure if you really need to provide it or how it's going to be used, just say, well, why do I need to provide it and push back on handing it out? Yes, and on those forms, just put N-A like I do. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else? Oh, how about how about once you find out that this has happened, what are some of the things that people should do? Well, you, you certainly need to file a police report mm-hmm. uh, because it is a crime, as we know, and um, notify every creditor that's involved in, in uh, where an account has been opened or, um, you know, benefits obtained under your child's name. I mean, it can be a very frustrating process because, yes. uh, because it's a child and you're not going to be able to get a credit report as such. So it's very hard to find out how the information has been misused. But the first step, at least, is to file a police report, make sure that everybody you can possibly notify, you notify about yes. this fraud. And if if the fraudster has actually gotten credits and gotten a car, then he will have established a, um, 
you know, a credit bureau report. It might not be under your child's name, so it might be a little bit of a challenge getting it from the credit bureaus. But if you write the letter and you give the social security number and you provide all of the documentation with the police report, then you've got a good chance of cleaning it up. But it is it is a challenge. So I am so glad, Anne, that ITAC is looking into this and just real briefly. Oh, yeah. I'm hearing from Ann that we're at the end. Why don't you give the website and your website and Ann, you're just been a one, wonderful. Ann Wallace is the Senior Director of Consumer Financial Services and the President of the Identity Theft Assistance Corporation. So give the website and people can learn more about the great work you're doing. Our website is identitytheftassistance.org. And it's been a pleasure to talk to you. And yes, we'll have you back in again as soon as you have some other good stuff that you're doing. Please let us know. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. You've been Bye. listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning at 8 a.m. and visit our website at KUCI.org slash privacypiracy. Write us emails about what's important to you and look at our upcoming guests and download podcasts. Thank you. Bye-bye. Stay private. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.